and welcome to Sinful Sarah's Horror Menagerie. I'm your host, Sarah Sin, tackling horror movies and taking a deeper dive into them. Again, on the show, I don't just discuss what I love about horror movies. I kind of like to bring in the aspect and perspective of how horror movies um, tend to reflect society's fears, so like horror and history, how they reflect society's fears at the time, how they reflect history of their time. And since I'm also a psychology major, I try to bring that aspect into my show and that perspective. And I like to see how the horror movie I'm actually watching and focusing on reflects psychology or and or mental health in any way. So school's actually started for me and I kind of have limited time for the show. But like I said before, like I will continue the show. I'm just trying to figure out ways to kind of shorten it a little. Um, I'm trying to take it from being like 45 minutes to an hour to kind of being around 30 to 40 minutes for now. So I know I'm going to shorten the subgenre section just a little bit and just try to focus more on the definitions and maybe going into a little bit of detail on them, not really like diving really deep into them because I've gone over a lot of them already. So probably what I'll do is like if I bring in a new subgenre I haven't talked about, I'll take a deeper dive into that one. And then when I do that one again, I'll just shorten it a little. And then I'm trying to think like, for my focal points, I usually try to do two focal points for each show. So my thinking is like, do I do one focal point and really take a deep dive into it, making it really like detailed and concise? Or do I do two focal points and kind of, um, you know, shorten them a little and not take as deep dive into it, not as many details and not as many examples, because that does take up a lot of time. So again, I would like your suggestions, like what you guys think. So kind of like what my plan is this show I'm probably just going to do one focal point see how that goes and then maybe the next show try to do two focal points and shorten them a little and then see how that goes and then maybe you guys can let me know what you think and what you think works best for the show when I'm just trying to shorten it when school's not in session because I do have breaks and stuff the show will go back to being the nice long 45 minute to 60 minute show where I really get to take a you know a huge deep dive anyway sorry you know going off topic so I, again, want to apologize for last week because I was in California. We were visiting family, my daughter and I, and we had to share a room. So trying to watch a movie and take notes with my daughter in the room can be a little tricky at times, especially because I have to have the light on and all she does is yell at me to turn the light off because she's like, I can't sleep unless the light's off. So I just decided to take the weekend off, last weekend off and, you know, focus on getting back to Vermont in time and not missing a flight. So again, I am sorry about that. So you know, it happens. I'm not quitting the show. I'm just, you know, took a break for a week. So I'm back this week, like I said, and I'm starting a new month, which is, um, you know, if I, okay. So a new month means a new decade right now until I finish up this little horror history thing I've been doing. And this month, September, I'm going to be focusing on the 1980s. And this is actually like my favorite decade of horror movies. Like this is actually the decade I got into, like is how I got introduced into horror movies. I watched Friday the 13th when I was five. And Friday the 13th actually happens to be my favorite franchise. You know, but a lot of people are like, well, isn't Reanimator your favorite franchise? I don't consider Reanimator a franchise. I consider it a trilogy because there's only three movies. And that's my favorite of all time. You know, nothing will beat Reanimator, but Friday the 13th is my favorite franchise. And of course, you know, this is the decade that has my ultimate favorite movie in the world that I love talking about. I own almost anything you think of that's Reanimator. I got a vanity plate on my car that says Reanimator, and it's you know stars my absolute favorite horror icon and biggest crush, Jeffrey Combs, is you know 1985's Reanimator. So I'm really excited to be doing the decade that really got me into 
horror movies and happens to feature my favorite movie of all time. And I was even thinking about it and I was like, there's actually documentaries dedicated to the 80s alone. Um, one of them is In Search of Darkness 1 and 2. You can watch it on Shudder. They're really good. I've seen them both about three times each. And then there's another one I like that's called Going to Pieces, The Rise and Fall of the Slasher Film. And if you haven't seen that one, it's a really good one. I recommend it. It talks about all the slasher movies of that time. So it really takes a deeper dive into the actual slasher flick subgenre, which I've talked about before. So if you haven't seen those documentaries, I highly recommend them. I've actually seen other horror movie documentaries, like a lot of them, like a good handful. So if you ever want um, a documentary to watch, ask me and I'll let you know the ones I've seen and the ones I highly recommend for you. Anyways, I digress. I'm going to continue on. And um, my first movie of the 1980s is actually 1980s Maniac, directed by William Lustig. I hope I said that right. <laughs> uh, starring Joe Spinell as Frank Zito, Caroline Monroe as Anna, Abigail Clayton as Rita, Kelly Piper as Nurse, Rita Montone as Hooker, Tom Savini as Disco Boy. He also did the um, special effects for this show, for this movie, I mean. Hyla Mera as Disco Girl. Sorry, Disco Girl. I'm already flowing up on words. And it's just the beginning of the show. Anyways, this movie is definitely one of those movies that I think um, represented psychology, mental health a lot more than actual horror history. I think it reflected a little on horror history or like history at the time, but it was more of like a, like taking a dive into like the mental health disorders of a certain person. So I would definitely say it reflected more on that. But for horror history, I definitely see like, it's reflecting on how childhood trauma affects someone into adulthood. Kind of like how Psycho did the same thing. Psycho showed the a traumatic childhood, how it affects that person as an adult. And this movie does the same thing. And then as I was doing research, and this is something I did not know until I researched this movie, it actually was reflecting on a true fear of New York City at the time, which was the Son of Sam murder. So that was a new thing I learned for this movie. So for psychology and mental health, we got childhood trauma, physical and emotional abuse, psychopathy, which I'm pretty sure I think um, Frank Zito is more of a psychopath than a sociopath. So I would say some skin schizophrenia. And again, I'm going to go into these a little later. Antisocial personality disorder and some hallucinations. So again, I'd like to go over a little bit. What's this movie about? And I said, due to his traumatic childhood caused by an abusive mother, Frank Zito now walks the lonely streets of New York, stalking his next victims. He kills women, scalps them, and nails the scalps to mannequins and then keeps them on display in his apartment. But Frank meets Anna, a New York photographer, at the park one day and begins a relationship with her. Is she the one he's been looking for to keep him from his murderous ways? Or will she, end, or she, well, will she eventually end up as another one of his victims? So that's kind of what the movie's about. Because it, it starts out with Frank as a murderer. Like, you actually see it. So it's not like it's a you know, a twist at the end. Oh, it was Frank. It was, it's right from the beginning. You know, it's Frank. You're actually following his story. So the subgenre, I kind of had to think for a minute. Cause I was like, okay, this movie was filmed in 1979, but it was released in 1980. So I actually would still put it in the torture porn splatter subgenre because it is like a gruesome movie with some very brutal kills that would make many audience members uncomfortable to watch these things. Like they're, they're pretty brutal. I'd also put it under psychological horror subgenre because the movie does have a lot of psychological undertones especially with the character of frank zito there's a lot of layers to him there's a lot going on from like going on within him that you know it they explain it towards the end but i definitely think it takes a very psychological deep dive also so i would put it into both those categories of psychological horror 
and you know the torture porn um, splatter subgenre, which is a big one of the um, 1970s, which I talked about last month. So again, I'm going to go over um, the torture porn splatter subgenre. This is the subgenre where the gore is bigger and the kills are very graphic. The intensity and violence is not there for the sake of shock, but tends to be essential to the storyline. Sometimes these movies use gore and violence, highlighting these gruesome acts to shock the audience, making them pay close attention, keeping their eyes glued to the screen. Many of the films use extreme situations for the purpose of making the audience uncomfortable, as if to tell them that these movies' horrors don't even compare to the horrors of real life. And then again, psychological horror. This subgenre may feel the most realistic because it builds the horror by playing on people's fears, anxieties, and phobias. These movies are designed to make the viewer feel as if this could happen to me. In addition, a big plot point for these films are people slowly going crazy due to a variety of reasons such as isolation and war. These movies tend to focus on people being the monsters rather than creatures or the supernatural. People are who we should fear. Like I said, for this movie, I'm just going to go with one focal point. And I really want to talk about Frank Zito himself, because like I said, this is his story. Like we are following his story. So I'm like, when I asked, I'm like, is he really, is he like both the protagonist and the antagonist of this movie? Because he is the main character. We're following his story, but he's also the one killing people. So anyways, that was just a little something I was thinking up in my head. So I said, all right, I'm just going to focus on him because the story really is about him. And I just want to take a really deep dive into his story. So I'm just going to talk about him today. And again, like I'm just going to try one focal point and then try two focal points the next time. And we'll see what you guys think. And then, let, of course, please let me know. Like I say this every show, like, please let me know what you think. I really do like suggestions. You know, just be kind about it. Don't be rude. <laughs> so as I was reading some of the reviews um, and the plot summaries, because I do, I try not to read them before the movie because I want to be able to pick things up on my own. So I try to read them after, but I read a few of them that kind of focused on the psychological aspect of him. And they all had like different, um, like different things they thought he was suffering from, which got me thinking like, okay, what do I think he's suffering from? So I actually pulled out my abnormal psychology textbook and started like sifting through it going, okay, what do I think he's suffering from? So I thought like, on the one hand, Frank does suffer from like kind of like hallucinations of sort. They're like, I would say auditory hallucinations, maybe um, like throughout the movie, you kind of see him having conversations with the mannequins in his apartment. And then later on, you realize that it's his mother he's actually talking to, which again, I'll get into. And the conversations he's having is as if he is talking to someone. Um, he's not pretending to be both people. He's just talking at someone he thinks is there. So to me, that points to hallucinations which tends to point to schizophrenia. So Mayo Clinic says, schizophrenia is a serious mental disorder in which people interpret reality abnormally. Schizophrenia may result in some combination of hallucinations, delusions, and extremely disordered thinking and behavior that impairs daily functioning and can be disabling. So, and a part of me goes, I feel like Frank could be suffering from this because he does have hallucinations, but then I'm going, on the other hand, he is completely aware of what he's doing and he lives kind of like a semi-normal life. Like, uh, how do I explain this? So other than the killing, so, so he is killing people. That's obviously abnormal. He does have hallucinations, but he doesn't seem to have a distorted view of thinking really or behaviors. And, you know, schizophrenia usually needs 
to like people suffer from schizophrenia sorry they need to find like the right medication and like combination of like their treatment their therapeutic treatment you know therapy in order to have like a functioning lifestyle otherwise without this right combination the disorder can actually be very very crippling to a person and they actually have a very hard time having a quality of life it's a very serious mental disorder and Frank, although, like I said, he has these hallucinations and he is, you know, killing people. I don't think he's really suffering from schizophrenia because it's obvious he's not taking ther taking any medication. He's not in therapy and his life isn't crippling. He still leads like a semi-normal life and can still come across as a normal person, as we see later on when he starts a relationship with Anna. So I'm thinking, okay, maybe schizophrenia, maybe there's a, it's a mild form of schizophrenia, you know, maybe schizophrenia does go from mild to severe. But then I started thinking, okay, well, what about antisocial personality disorder with either like psychopathic or sociopathic tendencies, which I would definitely go more towards the psychopathic tendencies with him. So antisocial personality disorder, and this is actually, again, from my abnormal psychology textbook. Common descriptors of those who display antisocial personality disorder include deceitful, aggressive, manipulative, irresponsible, impulsive, and reckless. These persons routinely violate the rights of others and appear to show no empathy, sympathy, or concern for those people around them. At the same time, they can be superficially charming and may use this ability to exploit relationships and situations. So again, I'm reading some of those and I'm like, that does sound a little more like Frank Zito's character. He seems to have maybe that, I would say he definitely has antisocial personality so over schizophrenia. And definitely would be psycho, a psycho, uh, psychopath over a sociopath because sociopath is more impulsive, reckless, uh, more aggressive, and they show like little to no empathy at all, like nothing at all. They're just, you know, and a psychopath can actually come off as a normal person. They can come off as charming. They have a little to like weak um, empathy or, you know, emotions. And, you know, they, it just seems like he'd be more of that. And a lot of it does, like I said, it sounds like Frank, but you know, one of the big aspects of antisocial personality disorder is that the person lacks emotions. Like they really have no feeling, no empathy or sympathy for others. And I feel like Frank has genuine feelings and expresses a lot of emotions throughout the movie. He also kind of shows remorse when he kills a person. Cause like after he kills the hooker in the beginning, he actually like goes in the bathroom and throws up and like he has this look of disgust within him. Like he's actually disgusted with himself for what he has done, which shows that he is upset by what he's done, which shows remorse. And then he even states like, I didn't want to do it. I didn't want to do it. And appears, like I said, visibly upset within himself after he kills the hooker. And then after he kills Rita, which is towards the end of the movie, he like starts to cry. He rocks back and forth and he's like, mommy, mommy, oh, mommy, mommy. I think he knows what he's doing. He's not really impulsive. Like when he finds the victim he wants to kill, he methodically like thinks out how he's going to do it. He doesn't just walk up to a person and just start killing them. There's a little bit of thought behind it because he does do a little bit of stalking. He does think about like, how am I going to kill this person without other people knowing? So he's not really reckless or impulsive like a sociopath would be. You know, he's thinking it through. And I don't think he comes off as superficially charming because he actually like generally, I think has feelings. The only way he can really feel feelings towards Anna. So a part of me is like maybe antisocial personality disorder with psychopathic tendencies, you know, but not 
all of it sounds like Frank either. So then I started going into one more thing I was like looking up. I was like, okay, there's disassociative and psychosis disorders. And I'm wondering if maybe he um, even suffers from one of those, or maybe it's even comorbid with another disorder because mental health disorders can actually be comorbid with other disorders. Like you don't just suffer from one disorder. You can suffer from multiple. So it doesn't mean he just has antisocial personality disorder. He might suffer from antisocial personality disorder with bipolar and depression, you know, something like that. So disassociative disorders involve certain altered states of consciousness and disruptions of memory and identity. Psychosis, severe psychological disturbance involving personality disorganization and loss of contact with reality. Those are both from my abnormal psychology book. And I felt like neither of these really fit the character of Frank either. Like psychosis was in the same chapter as uh, schizophrenia. And when I read up on the different types of disassociative disorders, none of them fit Frank at all. Like he had no symptoms of any of them, but still a part of me was like, like he is kind of distanced from reality slightly in a way like disassociative disorders are. And definitely with like, he has some kind of psychosis because, you know, there is a sort of disorganization within his personality, I would say. So I actually had a really hard time, like what was going on with Frank, like how I would determine him or what I think he's suffering from. So, you know, I'm not sure what Frank suffers from. I just did a bunch of research and then wrote out like a bunch that I think maybe he is. I don't think there's like a clear cut um, definition of what he suffers from, but it is very clear that due to his like traumatic childhood, his experience of abuse, this has been the cause of his mental instability and is the causal factor of whatever he actually suffers from. So again, like maybe let me know what you think. Do you think maybe it is schizophrenia, antisocial personality disorder with psychopathic tendencies? Do you think he does have some kind of disassociative disorder or a psychosis he's suffering from? Like, just let me know what you guys think, because, you know, I'm interested in, you know, the research or, you know, maybe you know more about this movie than I do. So anyways, I'm going to move on. As I'm watching the movie, I couldn't help but notice that Frank Zito has a lot in common with Norman Bates. Like, I really feel like this movie um, definitely took influences from the movie Psycho, especially the character of Norman Bates, like Norman Bates. It really influenced, in my opinion, who Frank Zito really is. So I said, first of all, Frank can be quite charming. I already said that, which is why I don't think maybe he has, you know, psychopathic tendencies because they're superficially charming. But I think he actually genuinely can be charming. So and he's even funny at times. So. When he starts up a relationship with Anna, he definitely comes off as like sweet, charming, and kind of like the funny guy, a little like Norman Bates. Like it kind of reminded me a little bit of the scene where he's talking to Marion Crane and he's, you know, he's laughing. He is a little awkward, but he does come off as very charming and a little funny at times. And Frank Zito reminded me of that. So, and we really see this, like, again, during the scene where Frank takes Anna out to dinner. So I'm going to go over that scene so I can explain a little more. So. Frank, you're the most beautiful woman I've seen since uh my mom. Anna, thank you. Frank, you're welcome. Anna, how do you have a picture of her? Frank, yeah. He pulls out the picture and shows it. Here, it's when she was younger. Anna, oh, right. Tell me, where does she live? Frank, oh, we lived in Queens, but uh, my mother was taken from me in an automobile accident when I was younger. Anna, I'm sorry. She really was lovely. Hmm, it's a shame. Listen, Frank. Frank, what? Anna. Rita's coming to the loft tonight at nine, and I want to get all the work finished. So she promised me she'd work overtime. Frank, 
So in other words, it's an early night. Is that it? Anna, it really is. Frank, well, as long as I can see you again, I mean, Anna, yes, of course. Frank, great. Anna, what about tomorrow night? Frank, tomorrow night, hmm, let me see if I'm booked. No, of course, tomorrow night would be great. But I know you're very busy, and I'm sure that uh, something will come up. Anna, I might be, and then again, I might not be. Oh, but I'll definitely see you on Thursday at the show. Frank, no kidding. Anna, you'll be there. Frank, yes, and so will five million other guys. Anna, oh, Frank, Frank, what? Anna, are you annoyed? Frank, no. Anna, I mean, that would be ridiculous, wouldn't it? Frank, yes, it would. Anna, Mr. Steiner's doing this. He's having this really big celebration. He's asked all these people from Art World down, and it, it could be something really special for me. Frank, I understand. I wish you the best of luck, Anna. Anna, I know you do. Yeah, I I just hope you really do understand. Frank, do I have a choice? Anna, hmm, no, not really. Frank, no? Anna, no. Anna says, no. Frank laughs, <laughs> well, figures. So I'm watching the scene, and he is. Frank's very charming and funny and a little sarcastic, but in a very flirty way, not in like a mean-spirited way. And this scene, again, reminds me a little of that scene between Norman Bates and Marion Crane. So I'm thinking, like, there's one aspect I noticed, like, the charming, you know, funny person that Frank comes off as. And again, I don't think it's superficial or he's pretending. I think he generally is that kind of person. Same with Norman. When Norman was in his, in the Norman personality, he's the same way. Very charming, can be very funny. And, you know, I don't think it's superficial at all. Moving on. Like Norman, I do believe that Frank also has an unresolved Oedipus complex which contributes to his quote mommy issues and I explained this a little in my episode on psycho Norman Bates so Norman Bates father actually died when he was five um if I remember correctly I'm pretty sure it's five which means he was never able to actually naturally resolve his Oedipus complex so according to Freud um children during the phallic stage of development which is ages three to five experience a sexual desire for the opposite sex parent even becoming possessive and feeling jealous and envious towards the same sex parent a child usually will resolve this when they get a little or older and start to identify more with the same sex parent, no longer seeing them as a threat and losing that unconscious feeling of desire for the opposite um, sex parent. So that was from, oh shoot, um, I think it was Psychology Today is where I got that one from. So Frank, we learn that his mother was a hooker and would put Frank in the closet while her clients were over. So I'm assuming that either one, Frank never knew who his father was. Or Frank left when Frank was little, like, which both can contribute to, you know, his mother, maybe, I don't know. I feel like if his father left when he was young, maybe that contributed to her being a hooker, you know, to have some financial means to take care of Frank, or maybe she was a hooker to begin with and doesn't even know who the father is. So, or, you know, they did get together and then, you know, he left anyways when Frank was little. But either way, it's very obvious that Frank didn't really have a father or any quote, competition, while he was experiencing this natural Oedipus complex. So I think, you know, when you have an unresolved Oedipus complex, like I mentioned again in Psycho, there's this, there's still this feeling of possessiveness. So he still felt possessive of his mother, and he had feelings of desire for his mother. But without a male figure to feel a sense of competition with, to envy, which in turn, he would eventually connect and identify with, this Oedipus complex was never successfully resolved. He still felt desire and possessive towards his mother, 
and was even jealous and envious of the men she would, you know, bring home. And, you know, and he never even got a chance to connect with any of these men. So, and then it's like, how could he? She would lock him in a closet. He never really had a chance or a moment to identify with anyone of the same sex of him to help him successfully move through this stage of development. So I hope that made sense. So Oedipus complex, you know, a child starts to feel desire for the same sex parent. As they get older, they identify with the, the opposites. Sorry. They start to feel um, desire for the opposite sex parent. And then they start to get older and then they identify with the same sex parent. Sorry. If they don't have the chance to identify with the same sex parent or some of the same gender as them, they don't have a chance to resolve the Oedipus complex naturally. So like I said, with Norman Bates, his father died when he was five. He didn't have a chance to resolve it. Frank, not probably not even knowing who his father was, and but still seeing his mom with other men, still felt that competition, still felt that desire and possessiveness towards his mother, never had a chance to resolve it because he never had a male figure to identify with. That's what I'm trying to say. So I'm going to keep moving on. Frank, we learn um, throughout the movie, and I want, yeah, more like later on, like I want to say towards the end, was abused um, by his mother. And it was a lot like Norman Bates. Like Norman was emotionally abused, and there was very much um, implied that he was sexually abused by his mother. Frank was also emotionally abused, and I would say definitely physically abused. I feel like it's heavily implied in the movie. But as you learn more, I'm like, no, I definitely consider being locked in a closet as a child, physical abuse, along with emotional abuse. So he suffered abuse as a child, which, you know, contributed to how he is now in adulthood. Like that childhood trauma affects you into adulthood. And there's a scene right before the actual ending of the movie, while Frank is still in the cemetery after Anna has escaped. Um, that kind of helps the audience best understand, um, like the abuse Frank endured as a child. And he's kind of like running away or he's running and he's chasing Anna. Then he falls and he kind of gets back up and he yells mother. Then we hear his mother's voice and then his voice as a child, like in his head and he's remembering. And I'm just going to call him mother and little Frank. So mother, Frank, little Frank, mommy, 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 mother. Mommy has to punish you. Little Frank, mommy, mommy, please don't lock me in the closet. Please, mommy, I'll be good. Mother, Frank, mommy has to punish you. Little Frank, please, please, mommy, please don't lock me in the closet. Mother, Frank, you've been a bad boy. Little Frank, please, please, mommy, please, please don't lock me in the closet. Mother, you know mommy loves you. Little Frank, please, mommy, please. Mommy, please, I'll be good, I promise. Mother, Frank, mommy has to punish you. You've been a bad boy again. So I'm listening to this scene, you know, his, you know, his like flashback, not really a flashback because you don't see it, you just hear it within his head. This little boy, little Frank, suffered abuse. He's even pleading with his mother, like not to lock him in the closet, that he'll be good. Like, mom, I'll be good. Like, if you just don't lock me in the closet, I promise to be a good boy. Please don't punish me. But mother keeps saying he has to punish him. Why? Because he didn't want to be locked in a dark closet, like scared and alone because she had clients over and he had to get out of the way. Like, I don't like it's just. Ugh. So I, I keep thinking, like, well, how is she going to punish him? Like, you know, he already is asking not to be put in the closet. So being put in the closet isn't the punishment. So the only thing I could think of is he's getting hit or beat by the mother, which is physical abuse. 
along with emotional abuse, because this is your mother, this is the person who's supposed to be taking care of you, and they're the one causing the harm. So it's a very hard scene to like listen to because it is, it's very, you know, you hear this little boy pleading and pleading not to be punished. And then, you know, you just hear, ugh, it's just, it's really hard. You know, he's pleading for his life basically. And his own mother promising, you know, he's promising to be good. He's begging her and his own mother just, you know, going to lock him in the closet, you know? So like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at emotional and physical abuse because one, a little boy being put in the closet is both emotional and physical abuse. Like people would probably say it's more emotional, but I say it's physical. You're putting him in a place that he can't get out of, you know? And along with that, she has to quote punish him, which I'm thinking is beating him or hitting him, which again is both physical and emotional abuse because that's his mother. She should be protecting him, not hurting him. same as Norman Bates. Norman Bates was emotionally abused by his mother, and then there was a very heavily implied sexual abuse along with there. So that's what I'm trying to get to when I'm explaining like how Frank is like Norman in that way with the emotional and um, physical abuse. So as we move on throughout the movie, we figure out that like Frank killed his mother. Like it's never really outright said that he killed her, but it's very heavily implied that he ended up killing, you know, his mother. This is brought up, this is like brought to attention to the audience when Frank has Rita um, it's one of Anna's models. Yeah, he's in our apartment. He had broken into her apartment, um, jumped her, and then tied her to the bed, gagged her, and then he starts talking to her, almost as if he's talking to his own mother. And then Frank has this monologue, basically telling kind of like the story of what happened to him. I don't think it's really um, his childhood story. Maybe it's a little bit in there, but it's more of like, I think, you know, him confronting his mother and then killing her. So again, Frank has Rita tied to the bed. He's kind of sitting on her like cowboy style. She's gagged. And then he holds a knife to her chest. And then he goes, and again, this is his monologue. So why do you do these things? I don't understand why you do these things. Don't lie to me. You try to pretend you don't know. Your hair is different. Yeah. And you look different. But you can't fool me. I know it's you. And I don't want to hurt you. I only want to talk to you. Okay. And Rita nods. I'll take it out if you promise not to scream. You promise? Rita nods. Frank takes out the gag. Hmm, there, that's better. There, you can trust me. You know you can. There's no reason for you to try and run away. But now we're back together again, and I'll never let you go. Never. Now you were wrong to try to hurt me. You left me alone. Lots of times. I was scared. Real scared. I hid in the closet. Did you know that? No, you didn't know that. I was afraid that you wouldn't come back, but I won't cry now. Uh-uh, no. I knew you'd come back. You did come back. I found you. I knew I would. And now you're mine. All mine. Why did you need those other men? They didn't love you. I did. I loved you. I needed you. There were so many men. I never wanted to hurt you. I never wanted to hurt you. Never. But there were so many men. There was so many men. Why? because they gave you some dollars, but they didn't love you. I loved you. Only me. And then Rita says, don't kill me. Don't kill me. Frank, please don't kill me. Frank goes, no, no, I'm not going to kill you. I'm going to keep you. So you'll never go away again. I'm just going to keep you so you won't go away ever again. Then he stabs Rita. 
And then he kind of like throws himself on her and he's like, mommy, oh, mommy, oh, mommy, oh, mommy, mommy, not tonight. You ain't going out tonight. Tonight, you stay home with me. So this for me definitely implies that Frank eventually like met up with his mother, confronted her and then killed her. And then I started thinking like, what's confusing is that he mentions and states like, I hid in the closet. Did you know that? But in the previous scene I just talked about when he was in the cemetery, little Frank is begging his mom not to lock him in the closet. So I'm wondering like, is this his distorted like memory? Like he, does he not really remember it really well? And then I started thinking more and I was like, I think his mother did lock him in the closet. So he, maybe he also hid there when he was scared because it eventually becomes like a familiar, safe place to him. And he was just asking his mother, like, did you know, like, I also hid there when I was scared, almost like explained to her that she messed with him so much and hurt him by locking him in this closet that he eventually found solace in the place that was really a prison for him. So like she locked him in the closet, you know, this place of a prison, a place of abuse, but eventually that's where he found comfort because he spent so much time in there that eventually he would start hiding in there. And that's what he's explained to his mother. It's like, did you know that I also hid in that closet? Like the place you put me and locked me in, I would also hide in there. So that's kind of like what I was interpreting from that scene. Because at first I got a little confused, but then I started taking a deeper dive and listening again. And I was like, this is what I'm interpreting is more of like his place of prison became his place of solace kind of thing. So the last comparison I'd like to discuss um, is that, you know, with Frank kind of being like Norman, is that he has a conversation with his mother. Like he believes he's talking to his mother. So while Norman would have actual conversations with quote mother, because he actually suffered from disassociative identity disorder and he was both Norman and mother, he had two personalities in the same body. So he would actually have full blown conversations with himself. Frank would talk to his mother as if she was in the room. So it's still kind of the same idea that he's having a conversation with his mother as Norman did. Norman just would also talk as his mother while Frank is talking as if his mother is sitting there. So after he murders Disco Boy and Disco Girl, and he scalps Disco Girl, he says, you tell me what I should do. I heard about it. I always do. I can't go out for a minute. <sighs> it's impossible. And he kind of uncovers his blanket, revealing a mannequin, and it's all bloody, and it's in his bed. Fancy girls in their fancy dresses and their lipstick, laughing and dancing. But you stop them, don't you? I can't stop them, but you do, don't you? Then they can't laugh and they can't dance anymore. So you got to stop them or they'll take you away from me. I won't ever, looks to the mannequin, let them take you away from me. You're mine now, forever. And he handcuffs himself to the mannequin. He's like, I'm so happy. And he starts crying and whining. And there's a lot of scenes. Well, not like a lot. I'd say like a handful of scenes like this. And at first, like when you first start seeing him talk to someone, you're thinking he's talking to his mannequins or maybe he's just having a conversation with himself. Maybe this is like a hallucination he's going through. But you really don't understand that he's talking to his mother until later on in the movie. Like later on, you really realize that like all those previous times you saw him talking, he was having a conversation with his mother, not with the mannequins or not within himself. He was talking as if his mother was there. So again, that's another comparison I see to like Norman Bates is that Norman Bates would have conversations with his mother, talk to his mother, but he, the difference was Norman would actually talk back to the Norman personality when he would and flip back and forth between mother personality and Norman personality. 
but Frank would have a conversation and even like have facial expressions and look up and look as if he is talking to someone who's there, who's not really there. So those are just kind of the like the little comparisons I noticed between Frank Zito and Norman Bates. Like I really noticed that there was a lot. So I really feel like this movie was heavily influenced by Psycho, which a lot of movies were. Like there's a, so many movies that could be traced back to Psycho. You know, the psych, um, you know, Norman Bates because it was such an influential movie, especially at the time. And it's now even now it's still influential with Psycho. But this movie definitely I think Frank Zito had a lot in common with Norman Bates and I hope my explanations made sense because sometimes I'm like, I get lost over words and then I look back at my notes and I can't read my handwriting. So again, I'm just going to read a couple of reviews because I'm trying not to go into like reading a bunch of them and then taking a deep dive into them. I'm looking more at reading two reviews and letting you kind of think about it and see what you think about the reviews. So Dread Central said, the lead in Maniac is a tortured individual named Frank Zito. Much like Norman Bates, He's tormented by the, his memories of an overbearing mother, much like, quote, Michael Rooker's, Rooker's portrayal of Henry Lee Lucas. He's someone to be frightened of, but also captivated by. Sorry, I flipped up on that. Oh, Diabolique. I hope it says right. Diabolique magazine. So on the surface, we have a lower budget shock fest full of gore and misogyny. But peel back the dermis and examine the meat on the bone. There you have a complicated portrait of mental illness loneliness and of a marginalized people living on the tattered edge of reality so anyways still working on this like i said i'm still working on how i'm going to do the show again so i'm still you know piecing things together and again like i sometimes have a hard time reading my notes because i have really messy handwriting so overall this movie is a dark gritty and grimy horror flick in the vein of the grindhouse era that shows the true underbelly of new york and the dangers lurking around every corner this movie does not have some mass killer or supernatural foe. Frank is a real human be being doing atrocious, horrifying things and hides in plain sight. Joe Spinell does an amazing job giving us frightening yet sympathetic characters such as Norman Bates before him. Due to the childhood trauma he endured, you can't help but empathize with Frank. It makes you ask the question, would he be committing these horrible murders, these heinous acts, if he didn't suffer such a traumatic childhood? Again, nature versus nurture. Was he naturally this way or was he, you know, conditioned to be this way because of the abuse he suffered from his mother? You root for Frank in a way when you see him falling for a girl, Anna, and even hope that he gives up his murderous ways if he can find someone special. Like the whole time you're watching with Anna, it's just like, please stop your murderous ways. Please fall in love with Anna. I hope you can move on to having a normal relationship. And you kind of even hope that he is capable of finding love and that he is capable of stopping these murderous ways and then the carpets ripped out from underneath you as you watch frank chase anna through the cemetery with the intent to kill her again if you have not seen this movie i do recommend it it's not for everyone it is a hard one to watch at times but it really depicts mental illness in such a raw way and if you have shutter i suggest that you actually watch the movie on the last drive-in where you get some behind the scenes info along with like random info of the movie and the people involved. So again, this movie's not for everyone. It is a hard watch. It's got some brutal murders. It does depict, but it depicts mental illness in such a way that it's a very true way. Like it's not overhyping it or um, glorifying it. It's showing someone who's suffering from mental illness, suffering from a traumatic childhood and how this affects him in his adulthood. So again, 
give this movie a chance. I think it's a really good movie. Um, again, if you have Shudder, watch it on the last drive, and it's a really great way to um, watch the movie. So, again, I'm going to wrap things up for today. Thank you for joining me here on Sinful Sarah's Horror Menagerie. Again, I am your host, Sarah Sin. Thank you for sticking around as I discuss horror history, psychology, mental health within these horror movies. Hope you enjoyed the show. Again, thank you for listening. And I just want to remind everybody out there that there's a horror movie out there for everyone to enjoy. So thank you. <laughs>